Preached in the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown on Sunday, March 23, 1975. Four questions of Holy Week, the first in the series, Why the Change? Preached on this Palm Sunday. Text is Mark, the 11th chapter, verses 1 through 10. several weeks I have felt a real leading when I interpret the Spirit of God to lead me in preaching on the theme Four Questions of Holy Week during this special season 1975. I hope that the four questions are pertinent today and that they have meaning for you and me and our lives together. Mr. Burder has made reference to the Holy Week services. This morning we're speaking to that first question, why the change? Around the Lord's table Thursday night, the second question, who built the cross? For those of you in the radio congregation, that service begins at 8 p.m. On Good Friday we have the men's community breakfast in the community service where ministers of the various churches in the Bakerstown, Valencia, Gibsonia area will be leading meditations on the seven words from the cross, that service at the St. Thomas in the Fields Episcopal Church at 1.30. And then we're back here at 8 p.m. Friday night, Good Friday, for what I hope will be a very promising, moving, and provoking service. It's a tabloid service, that's a new term for most of us. It means the extinguishing of candles. The sanctuary will, at the end of the service, be lighted only with one candle. It's drama, it's music. There's a cast of more than 22 people in that presentation. And it's one of the most unique things that I've ever been a part of, and I'm only hoping you people will be here to join in that experience. There are no bulletins, no one except the cast and the choir really know what will be happening. And we trust the Spirit of God will use that moment to speak to all of us. Then next Sunday at 8.45 and 11, Easter morning, trying to address one of the great answers that came on that day of resurrection as we ask ourselves the question, why are we frightened? Today, Palm Sunday, Mark the 11th chapter, the first 10 verses. And when Jesus and his disciples drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a coat, tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone asks to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away 
and found a coat tied at the door out in the open street and they untied it and those who stood there said to them what are you doing untying the coat and they told them what Jesus had said and they let them go and they brought the coat to Jesus and threw their garments on it and he sat upon it and many spread their garments on the road and others spread leafy branches which they had cut from the fields and those who went before and those who followed cried out Hosanna blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord blessed be the kingdom of our father David that is coming Hosanna in the highest For months, maybe even for two years, the opponents have been trying to find some way to get rid of Jesus. They wanted to see him dead. They thought him a troublemaker. But they couldn't do anything about it because of the people. The people liked Jesus. So those who wanted to see Jesus out of the way had to wait for a change in public opinion. And they wait, and they wait, and they waited. And the change came. And it came in those first few days of what we now know as the first Holy Week. And in those 100 hours, the people, some of them changed in their attitude concerning our Lord. And many of those who on that first Palm Sunday were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of David, or as we did today, crown him with many crowns. By Friday, some of those same people were shouting, crucify him, <coughs> crucify him. Now that makes me, and I hope makes you, want to say, why the change? What made some of these people do an about-face in their relationship with the Son of God? That, I think, is a very important question, and I would like you to look with me at some, not all of them, at some of the elements or factors that we can garner from the Scripture to help answer that question, why the change? I think some people changed in their attitude about Jesus in that holy week because they did not like his house cleaning of their temple. Jesus on Sunday paraded into Jerusalem. We know it is Palm Sunday. He took a look at the temple. He came back on Monday and he looked again at the temple and he did not like what he saw and it infuriated him. In those days, you see, you, to be a male adult Jew and worship, you had to pay yearly and annual temple tax. It was the equivalent of two days' wages. You weren't allowed in the temple till you had paid the tax. 
And just before the high holidays, you could only pay the tax at the temple. And what's more, you had to pay it with specific coins. Well, now, Jews came from all over the then-civilized world, and many of them had to exchange their currency into the appropriate acceptable coins. At first, this started out as a genuine service, but because of, because of graft and greed, we have perhaps one of the first religious rip-offs. And we had people hired by the chief priests to charge a sum which became exorbitant to exchange these tokens. And when Jesus saw people being cheated in the house of his father, he was upset. And secondly, you know, to participate in the sacrament or in the service of the temple, you had to bring a sacrifice. If you were in a certain income bracket, the middle or upper, you had to provide a sheep without spot or blemish, a lamb. If you were in the lower income bracket, your sacrifice was to be two turtle doves. Now many people waited until they got to Jerusalem to buy their sacrifices. And it was somewhat upsetting to Jesus when he realized that those particular pigeons or turtle doves and lambs that were sold inside the temple at twice the rate that you could buy them outside were always acceptable when those ones that you purchased on the outside never seemed to pass the entrance examination. And he caught this hanky-panky. And if you can, if you've ever been in an oriental marketplace, I think you can get a picture of what was happening at the temple in Jerusalem. The haggling constantly over the price, the bleating of the sheep, the, the groaning of the cows, the clinking of the change, and that inevitable stench that would have come with all those animals and that noise, everything being there which would not be conducive to solemnity and worship. And it upset Jesus. And with anger in his eye and power in his voice and with a whip in his hand, he turned over those money changers' tables and he drove those people who were sitting selling pigeons and lambs. And he said, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he cleansed the temple. He house-cleaned that particular building. And the people didn't like it. I know human nature well enough that when Jesus gets too close in house cleaning our temples, be it a church, be it any form of government on any level, be it your business, be it your home, maybe God's even trying to clean your body and he's getting a little too close. We don't like it. And especially when God's cleansing by his spirit of the temple hurts us in that most vulnerable position, the pocketbook. We don't like that. We like to worship Jesus until it really costs something. Then we're not so sure. I know of absolutely nothing 
that can curb enthusiasm and incitement for God than the passing of the offering plates, than the demand that people who say they believe in Jesus put their money where they have their mouths, when people realize that maybe if they're going to be true to the Father, discipleship is going to cost them something. And many of those people, I'm sure, on that first Monday, though they wanted to pay allegiance to Jesus, they thought Jesus was getting a little bit too close by intruding into their financial affairs, and that's what he was doing when he took the job away from some people who were making money from religious racketeering. Still happens. That's why some people changed, I think, from crowning Jesus to wanting to see him crucified. Normal reaction. Others, I think, got upset at Jesus because of the way that he began to exercise his authority. Authority. You read on Tuesday when Jesus came back into Jerusalem, the leaders came and said, By whose authority do you do these things, like cleaning, house cleaning, the temple? For your credentials. Who tells you to do these things? And if you'll notice, Jesus replies to their inquiry, but he does not answer their question. Jesus never tries to justify his authority, nor will he get into an arguing contest with any Pharisee or Sadducee or Herodian or you or me to try to argue his supremacy and his credentials. He doesn't do that. You either accept Jesus as the authority, being the Son of God, or you don't. And you accept that in faith, or you don't. Some of the people, you see, did not want to accept this man as being the final authority of their life. And it's strange that's still happening in the world today. This question of authority... Whose voice shall I listen to? To whom shall we believe, or whom shall we believe? And that's a very big question. And I cannot help but think this morning, as I reflect on the newscast that most of us heard this morning, I'm sure Dr. Kissinger flying back home to America, feeling somewhat disappointed, realizes that basically that question in the Middle East is one which is asking who really has the authority. And you see, when our authority runs into trouble with somebody else's authority, there are clashes, and people must make decisions. And oftentimes, Nobody wins, and everybody loses. And what happened here was that they refused to accept the authority of Jesus. And I find that still happening today in the world. 
And like what happened in that first Palm Sunday, so happens in Palm Sunday of 75, people try to justify their belief in some other authority when it opposes the authority of God, and they try to find problems with Jesus or the theology of the New Testament. You see, that's why those Pharisees and Sadducees and Arabians were asking questions of Jesus that first Holy Week. You might say on Tuesday and Wednesday Jesus held his last press conference and those people asking him all sorts of questions were not after information. They were trying to get discredit for Jesus' credibility. So what they did was ask him questions about taxes, about marriage, about heaven, about his interpretation of the law. And personally, I think Jesus did an excellent job in trying to answer their questions. But the people still are not satisfied. And it's strange, is it not, how we are never satisfied with the answers if we refuse to accept the authority of the person who speaks the answers. And many people that day, when they listen to this confrontation, I think lost faith in Jesus and really became disappointed in that he did not answer as they would like him to have. And consequently, they did not like the way he presented his authority. And I think this is true, especially when you get to that commandment that he gave about loving one another. Some people still get upset at Jesus when they realize that this is not a request that Jesus is making of us. It's a command. This commandment I give unto you that you love one another and that you're to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is like unto it, you love your neighbor as yourself. Now the word for love here is agape, which is the Greek meaning a love not that comes from the sentimentality of the heart, a love that does not love simply because someone else loves it. It's rather the love that comes from the mind, from the determination, the love that you decide you're going to exercise whether you feel like it or not. It means loving the unlovable. It means loving the unloving. It means loving those who do not love you back. And it means love that comes from the mind more than from the heart. A determination of the will, a commitment to love no matter what. And Jesus told people, that is the way you're supposed to live in life, and some of the people didn't like it, just as some people don't like that today. Now, these are just three factors of many, many more, which anyone could add, if you knew the scriptures, as to the which caused the downfall of Jesus. But I present these three to you and would like to say two things about them. One, please remember that it was these three, amongst others, that caused people to change their attitude about Jesus from wanting to crown him king to where some of them crucified him as a criminal. The cleansing of the temple, 
the insistence upon authority and the commandment to love. Now these three factors were important that first holy week and they're important every week of every one of our lives because in reverse order in reverse order those are the factors which are necessary for us who are crucifying Jesus to come to the place where we crown him king of kings and our lord of lords and they illustrate unless a person decides in his mind and I don't care how he feels in his emotions but unless a person decides in his mind that he is going to love God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength and love his fellow man as he wants his fellow man to love him, he really will never understand anything about the Christian faith. That's the first step. Once you make that determination, then naturally the second step is to accept Jesus, his word, as being your authority for life. And when you come to that place and accept in faith Jesus as the Lord of your life, the authority for all of my other priorities, then the Spirit of God begins to work in me not only to cleanse me, but to cleanse every sacred institution of which I am a part. And that, that, ladies and gentlemen, is where reconciliation and rebirth comes in government, in nations, in churches, because it's been born in people who accept only the authority of Jesus as being their guide because they've made up their minds in faith that they are going to live by love. You get that first point? The same factors are involved whether you're going from crowning Jesus to crucifying him or crucifying him to crowning him Lord of your life. Same factors, just in reverse order. And the second point I want us all to understand is that each one of us here today, every one of us, each one of us is in the process of changing. Right now, we are either changing towards one way or the other. Today we are on a road of either crowning Christ Lord of our lives or we are changing and heading towards that place of crucifying our Lord anew. You see, Holy Week is not a time when we just celebrate what happened back 2,000 years ago. It is a time when we are to become conscious of the fact that we are changing one way or another. Holy Week in my vocabulary should be changed to Haunting Week. Holy Week is not a pretty time for the Christian. It's a difficult time and it's a time when we must be asking ourselves the same old questions. Lord, is it I 
that I'm sending you anew to the cross? Or am I crowning you and glorifying you to the best of my ability? And this week, I hope some of us are going to get a little upset by asking ourselves that question. Why am I changing? And which way am I going? These are beautiful days. We're not quite sure what God has in store for us out there. But there are days when God's Spirit is working. And I believe just as the Spirit of God was parading into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday, that first day of Holy Week, way back when, the same Spirit of God is parading through your life and mine this Holy Week. It's not an easy week, but this week may be the time when some of us find that our lives have been changed. It's a great day in the kingdom. Amen. Our Father and our God, you've given us so much. Forgive us when we forget that we are children of thine. So help us as we sing our hosannas, and help us to know who we are. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of his Holy Spirit be in abide with you all now and through every day of this haunting week. In Jesus' name, amen.